0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, episode 851 for January 4th, 2021. Happy New Year, folks! <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geekab, the show. You know, well, if, if if you're new to the show, you don't know. If you're if you're not, welcome back. Uh, because we're the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We take those, we mix them all together into an agenda, answering your questions, sharing your tips, sharing your cool stuff found. The goal is for each of us: you, me, him, that person over there, all of us that are listening or participating in creating this show. The goal is that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include HelixSleep.com slash MGG, MintMobile.com slash MGG, BareBones.com slash HolidayBundle, which we'll tell you more about, and TextExpander.com slash Podcast. We'll talk more about all of those in a minute here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, in 2021, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Also in 2021. This is John Efron. It's good to be in temporal sync with one another. And Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Thanks, man. New
1: boy. <laughs> yep.
0: Cool. Yeah. So we had some software issues, I think. Um, right. So no one listening actually knows any of this. But <laughs> yeah, it took us quite a bit to get the show going today, which we might talk about a little bit later. But for now, um, Mark has a good. Uh, Quick tip for us, and that is Flash is dead. Uh, Adobe is has sunsetted Flash. They say that they're going to make it, like, disable itself or something. Uh, but uh, but Mark reminds us that it is time to uninstall Flash. and uh, And so we will put a link in the show notes for you to do that. You download the little uninstaller if you don't already have it, which you might. But if you don't, then you download the little uninstaller and uninstall Flash and you're done. I, I, there are still like, there are still flash websites out there so much so that on my, well, so much so I think I encountered one, but I, I did make flash work on my M1 air, John, by downloading mm. Chrome. I think I talked about this on the show. I think I downloading Chrome and then checking the run this in Rosetta box because running Chrome and not Rosetta would not like in native Apple Silicon mode would not, um, would not work for flash but uh but running it in rosetta mode would i guess which i guess makes sense i don't know i feel like it should work but whatever i don't know anyway go uninstall flash hopefully nobody re- relies on it anymore and if they do well 2021 is going to very 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 quickly be a uh, rude awakening for them so there you go
1: yeah i removed it long ago per the insistence of uh our own uh, uh jeff gamut sure yeah i yeah, think the would. problem was that it had you know, security holes like Swiss cheese. So, uh,
0: (laughs) it, it did. Yeah. But you know, flash, I mean, flash gets a bad rap. Um, it it mostly gets a bad rap, I think because of its power, lack of, of power efficiency. Right. But flash was designed for a time when, when the web was non-interactive in any other way. And the web was all desktop, right? There were no truly mobile devices at the time. So power wasn't as much of a concern, uh, well, of course, it was on our laptops, but uh, but, you know, Flash opened the door for interactive websites. The things that we do now, even things like Google Docs and Google Sheets, uh, all of that stuff would not have happened. Uh, you know, in the, it, there was no HTML5, but now there is. So it's good. Like we just keep iterating. It's all good. You have a quick tip for us, don't you, John, from Tannel? Oh, I think I do. And I remember Steve also wasn't crazy
1: about Flash on iOS, and uh, that was probably a good decision. Yeah, from so, a power uh, standpoint. Yeah, I think that was... um, Canal, um says, some episodes ago, you asked commu- the community to provide examples of how they use Siri. As a non-native speaker of English, I use Siri for language advice. When I come upon a fancy word I do not know, I just shout out, hey, S lady, define... The word, uh, very useful and much faster than reaching for my Oxford English Dictionary. That's cool. My daughter uses it for her English homework. Hey, S lady, how do I spell this word? Or for her Russian and French homework. Wow, Russian and French. Cool. (laughs) Um, Hey, S lady, how to say English word in Russian or French. Wow. Wow, I didn't even know it could do that. That is really impressive.
0: That's cool, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. Wow, that's cool. All right, cool. I am going to try something here john we we did we do We did have an issue. We do have an issue with our our memo live connection with, that we usually use or our memo call connection, and so today we're using zoom, but what one thing we did not do is turn on original audio, so I'm going to attempt that here, John, live, and hopefully it doesn't break things uh t- talk to me I'm talking to you. I don't know that I don't know that that changed anything for you. If you go into your Zoom window, John, this is a thing where Zoom will allow higher quality audio. Uh, If you go into your Zoom window and sort of float over it so that the the things come up. uh, Do you have a turn on original sound in the upper left? Uh,
1: In the upper left? yeah like four. i stop video mute
0: my audio pin rename hide self view okay, so you don't you don't get the option to turn on original sound, okay, all right, well, that's fine, you're not oh okay. wait well hold on there's mute my audio, I mean, you sound good, I just you know you know how it is i i I obsess over making the yeah, yeah. audio sound fantastic uh i'm so. looking i mean there's audio settings. No, this would be on the, just on the main zoom screen where you've got like at the lower middle, you've got the share screen button and then in the upper left, you should see the little green security check mark. And then, oh yeah, I see that. And then next to that, is there anything about original sound or no? No. Okay. Uh, Yeah. All right. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe there's an advanced setting or something. I didn't think so though. All right. Anyway, we'll move on. It's all good. You sound fine. I just like, you know. To like I, I like to make sure we uh we get the best that we possibly can for our listeners all right uh let's go to some questions. shall we hear? We will start with Bill and listener Bill asks us Wait, well, there are a lot of bills in today's show. It's the shows about the bills uh Bill asks. He says, I'm trying to organize my photos. I want to move from iCloud storage to local copies so I can edit them more easily. I want to put the local copies onto an external drive since they wouldn't fit on my 256 gig SSD with only 115 gigs available. My photos currently use 238 gigs on iCloud at the moment. Is this possible? So the answer is yes. Back to Bill. He says, my thought was to do the following. Quit the photos app on the Mac move my photos library dot photos library from my home directory pictures to somewhere on the external drive. Okay. Yep. Uh, Then hold down the option key and launch the photos app. Yep. Select the photos library on the external drive. And then in photos preferences, click the use as system library button to make this my default library. All of that sounds very good. Bill, you're heading down the right path. Bill says, when I do that, I get the following warning. Switching the system photo library will turn off iCloud photos. Any photos and videos that have not been fully downloaded will be removed from this Mac and shared albums will be disabled. Turn on iCloud photos for this new system photo library in preferences. He says this scares me. Nothing has been downloaded to my knowledge since I have optimized Mac storage selected. I have thumbnails in my local photos library file but it is only 16 gigs. So I'm sure I don't have everything that is in the cloud. This makes it look like things are going to get messed up. Help. Yeah. So you're the path you're taking bill is absolutely correct. And this is the path that I've taken both on my machines, my family's machines. And of course on, you know, clients machines or anybody I'm helping with, uh, with their computers. And, and this is the right path to take. You, you just need to do In fact, exactly what Apple says, Once you change the system library, then you need to go re-enable iCloud Photos because iCloud Photos always maps to the system library. And once you do that, then you can change that checkbox or that radio button, I suppose, from optimized storage to download everything. And then it will start the process of slurping things down that may take a few days because it throttles things uh, at times. But, But that will do it. Uh, in theory. I mean, of course, there could be other problems. Let's hope there aren't. But but that's the right path to take for sure. So so there you go. Thoughts on that, John? Uh,
1: yeah, if you don't have enough space on your drive for your photos, which I do. Um, so one thing is maybe... Get a larger, uh, drive than you need. Uh, but my photo library fits comfortably on my, uh, one terabyte SSD.
0: Yeah. I, I, I actually, um, if, if you're running off of a laptop, I suppose that's good. If, if the laptop is your only machine, I think that's great advice. In fact, because I like to have a local copy of my photos library. I like the safety in it, all of that stuff. But if you're getting, uh, any sort of desktop machine, it, like the, the the price of buying storage from Apple versus the price of buying storage from any third party really is such a delta that I actually don't think that's good advice. I, th- I think I would advise that people, again, for a laptop, you know, that you're stuck with that, right? And, and you don't want to have the car to cart a drive around with you. So there you go, uh, especially not for your system library, because that needs to be connected all the time. But for a desktop machine, put it on external leave the space on your internal drive free. Even if you've got the space, I think, I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a way.
1: All right. Okay. Now we do get a suggestion here from our chat room, which Dave, I believe is at live.mackygab.com. That is true. Um, I do see this option. Now, if I dig into zoom Um, show in meeting options to enable original sound from microphone, should I click that?
0: Sure. What could possibly
1: go wrong? (laughs) And now it says turn on original sound. Do I want to do that? Sure. Try that. Let's see if we hear a difference. Okay. Turn on original sound. This is now original
0: sound. Aha. It got, you got quieter, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure if that's better. Talk to me a little bit, John. Okay. I'm going to talk to you. And then I see some additional
1: options, disable echo cancellation, high fidelity music mode and use stereo audio. They are all unchecked.
0: I, I would say it, we might be able to get better audio out of you long term with this short term. it w- It's going to take some tweaking because there's some mm-hmm. background noise that's coming in. So go ahead and go back to what you had for this episode at the very least. Okay. Cool. All right. Now we'll bring your level back down. There we go. Good. You want to take us to Craig, John?
1: I will take us to Craig. Um Craig says, I want to set up a wireless network on my boat. Wow. I should get a boat. You should get a boat. <laughs> it's a good pandemic purchase. I mean, we have a marina. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think there's a waiting list to get a, a, a slip to talk to your boat. Um, I want to set up our network on my boat. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions. It's just going to be used to connect my iPhones and iPads together and to airplay to an Apple TV. The range is very short, not more than 20 feet, and I would like to avoid the units with several antennas sticking out. I know there are emerging new technologies out there now, but I suspect that I will not be needing anything special for what I'm trying to accomplish. If you have any suggestions, I appreciate your input. My initial suggestion, Dave, uh, and this is what I used in the past as my travel router, is uh, maybe get uh, an Airport Express uh, here's the only thing with the airport express is the last one that they released. Huh. Um, only supports 802.11 and which is not the latest. Uh,
0: D- do they even sell airport expresses anymore? I mean, Apple, you can get of the them off eBay. Okay.
1: Uh, I don't think you can get them from the, the refurb store anymore. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. They have spots, up. but nothing shows up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But, um, then I thought I'd do a, a little search here, Dave, and I found something that, uh, actually I bought one because it looks really cool. um, And it was recommended in a couple of uh, articles that summarized good what we're going to call travel routers, which a travel router is one that doesn't have all the antennas sticking out all over the place because you don't want to travel with something like that. Sure, yeah. So I found something from TP-Link called the TLWR902AC. Ooh, AC, that's good. And they describe it as an AC750 wireless travel router. And Dave, the, the, if you're looking at this now, the uh, the link, which we'll put in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, this has so many features for such little money that I couldn't resist getting one. So, uh into any internet connection into a private AC750 dual-band Wi-Fi network, a compact router if it's uh, travel... Yeah. It supports two point four and five gigs. It has a USB port, so you can share files or charge devices, um, and all sorts of other features. But um, and you wow. can get it from uh, it, it's like forty bucks, so I couldn't resist getting one. So the next time I travel, I am going to uh,
0: now what? Bring yeah, this
1: little guy with me. So
0: that would be my my piece of curiosity. Like, what would what's your use case for it? We know Craig's, which I think is actually great because you know short range, good to go right so what would what, um what are you gonna use uh, this for i used it in the past to uh when i
1: travel with friends sometimes i would bring one of these so i could share the uh the internet that was not free at the time uh now in most cases you you, you know if you get a hotel room you get the it, you get wi-fi as well yeah um but you may be able to get better Wi-Fi depending on the hotel you go to by plugging into a wired connection mm. versus the hotel Wi-Fi. And some hotels that I've been to offer a, a wired connection.
0: So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. 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 It does. No, I
1: don't know if this has. Does this have an Ethernet port? It, on it, it? looks to. It yes. It it looks to have an Ethernet port. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would be a use case is you okay. can get better performing um. Yeah potentially better performing Wi-Fi and share it with your, your friends. Sure. Or
0: everybody in the hotel. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. I like it. All right. Uh, why? You're on a roll, man. Why don't you take Robert, us to Robert? Yes. Oh, this, this was a head scratcher.
1: Um, all right. So Robert, let me get Robert here. Here we go. Long time fan. Oh, thank you. Um, in the past, Safari had a hamburger in mm. um, what I think is called the address bar, the place to enter a URL to go to a page on the internet. When the site loaded, a user could click on the hamburger and the site would display only text, which could then be copied to another app like preview or word. No graphics would be copied. I don't seem to be able to find this or similar options using Big Sur on M1, on my M1 Mac mini 2020. Any suggestions? Uh Yes. So this is actually called Dave Reader View, Um, and it looks like the behavior isn't new in Safari 14, which you can, uh, is the latest version. And that the hamburger, um, which I think is actually, it's a page that has lines of text on it, but I like (laughs) hamburger, um, will appear on some websites and not on others. A couple of options. If you want Reader View from a specific page, you can go to View, Show Reader View. Um, or hit the keyboard equivalent, which is Shift Command R. You can also, uh, in Safari, go to Preferences, Websites, Reader, and it will show the websites that it's enabled for. But that could get kind of tedious. There's also a "When visiting other websites" option, and you can set this to on, which should um, actually it doesn't show the hamburger. Um, it it actually will bring up any page in Reader view initially, and then if you click, it'll it'll show you the actual page behind it. Um, so I think it's just, I don't know if you know what the criteria is to show that reader view, uh,
0: icon, Dave. I I don't, I I thought that that reader view icon, I thought that that hamburger menu went away pre Catalina. Like I don't, It, it may have. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's there at all anymore, but I could be wrong on that. I, I have not seen it. Uh, if you want to go to reader view, it's, it's view, you know, command shift R, mm-hmm. right? Show reader, or like you said, you can go to settings for this website. Um, I always get to website settings by right clicking in the, in the address bar and going to settings, and then you can say, use reader when available. Uh, uh right, right, right. And, um, but that might not be the right way to do it. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. It, maybe it maybe it does appear some of the time and i'm just not seeing it but um but yeah that's for you that's that's yeah uh, i i haven't i haven't looked for it so i don't know like i'm trying to think if i go to like you know a, a news websites does it appear anywhere yeah i guess it does yeah no 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 it does you're right it appears there the little hamburger menu and i and you're right i don't know what the there might be it might be looking for a certain uh, amount percentage wise of text on the page versus, you know, graphics or other elements, uh, because it it appears like I, I loaded a very short article. Brian Chaffin put up a quick little Happy New Year article on Mac Observer and the hamburger menu did not appear there. But looking at, for example, Dr. Mac's experience with an Apple Silicon M1 Mac uh, works ju- like the reader thing shows up just fine there. So I think it's when Safari realizes it can do good by changing to reader mode for the user, then it will show that menu. So, yeah, like yeah. for
1: example, the TP link page that I just went to, yeah, uh, it, it does show up on that one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I guess it looks at the HTML or And like this one here, it has, you know, a bullet list. So maybe it looks for something like that
0: saying, oh, that, that may be something uh, I can deal with. Something we can, we can make better with, with Mm -hmm. reader view. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. I like it. All right, John, I would love to, we have tons more questions. In fact, we got some cold storage archiving stuff that, that I think will be relevant and some might be, might even get some, some migration stuff. But we've got cool stuff found coming, lots of stuff. What I want to do right now, John, is I would love to talk about our first two sponsors, if that works for you, my friend. Please do. All right. Look, we know that some of you have written us to tell us that you listen to Mac Geekab while you go to sleep, and then you rewind when you wake up and and catch up. That's fine. That's actually how Pilot Pete started listening to the show, you know. He may still listen that way as far as I know. Well, why would you want to fall asleep after listening to all the great content here? Why would you want to fall asleep on an uncomfortable mattress. Well, you don't have to since uh, I think November, we've been sleeping on a Helix mattress at the house. And what's really cool is we took the Helix quiz and we were matched with the midnight model mattress because we wanted something sort of medium for side sleepers. Right. And, and actually both Lisa and I went through the quiz that they have on, on the Helix site. It's, It's really fun and it's really quick. And, and we both came up with the same thing, which was, you know, which was great. But, but they, they ask you questions like about you and your partner, if you sleep with a partner and that sort of thing. So, and it, and then the mattress arrived and it delivers, man, does it deliver? It's fantastic. Really, really great. The way that they allow you to customize what you're getting for what you like. And you need to just go to helixsleep.com slash that's where you're going to take this two minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to your customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and and two free pillows for our listeners here at Mac Geek Cab. You go to HelixSleep.com slash MGG and our thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring this episode. After the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list, right? So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, what are you doing? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. And as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. And that's because they're online only, right? They've eliminated the traditional costs of retail. And of course, Mint Mobile passes those savings on to you. They even have Mint Family now, which we've been using amongst the four of us. It's great. Each person, you set up an individual account, so you get to pick which level of data everybody wants. And then one account can manage the whole thing. And that was a game changer for us here. So it might be for you, too. You get to bring your own phone with Mint Mobile. And if you are not 100 percent satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile, get that premium wireless service just at 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com/mgg. That's mintmobile.com/mgg. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/mgg and our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. All right, Sean, it's time for some cold storage in cold storing. I don't know. Uh, first question comes from Dennis. He says, I have some old clone backups that I want to archive on my Synology disk station. I assume this requires creating a disk image of the clone so that I can move the file to my Synology. Correct me if that is wrong. Uh, assuming that is correct, though, should I create the disk image with carbon copy cloner or disk utility or doesn't it matter? And next, I see that I have some options for that disk image. Carbon Copy Cloner lets me do read-write sparse bundle disk image or read byte sparse disk image. Uh, Read-only disk image, read-only compressed image, and then disk utility says read-only compressed, read-write, and DVD CD master. Any guidance and do you know of any problems with read-only compressed images? So your presumptions are all correct. And disk images are the way to go. This is the way to to store those types of things on your Synology. I'm just going to say it out loud, even though when you stop and think through it, this will also make sense to you. You cannot boot from these disk images when they are sitting on your uh, Synology, at least not without a lot of finagling. Um, but can, creating them with either Carbon Copy Cloner or Disk Utility is going to be fine. I choose to do all mine with Carbon Copy Cloner mainly because. I create the job in carbon copy cloner and then I leave it there and all I have to do is change the source and destination and I don't have to rethink all my options all the time. But your question made me sort of rethink my options. So I started looking at this, right? There's nothing wrong with compressed images, um, but they're normal images instead of sparse bundles. So they don't have the benefit of, well, I mean, they're not writable um, or nor are they resizable. But for what you're doing, that doesn't matter at all. And if Howard Oakley is to be trusted, Howard Oakley from the Eclectic Light Company, uh, he has a thing about sparse bundles, especially with APFS, and says that there's not some not so great stuff and some not so consistent things there. So maybe we should be using compressed read only images for our cold storage uh, in the end anyway. Um over a network, I'm not sure which is more efficient, though, because sparse bundles, the compressed disk images. John, correct me if I'm wrong, but they they're like one big file, whereas sparse bundles are bands of like I don't know eight megs a piece or something. So, I I I I'm not. We would have to do some testing to figure out which is if compressed disk images are less efficient because the uh, sparse bundles that I put on my disk station over the years have been great for this purpose. I can just double click them; they mount. It's all good. So, um, so I don't know what the magic answer is, but but there you have it. That's well, those are those are my thoughts. What do you think, John?
1: I actually do have some thoughts here. Okay, so one I would not. Uh, I'm definitely. Uh, I would not choose read write because I don't think archival. Cold storage should have the ability to be written to, because what if some malware comes along or something and then screws it up mm. so uh, not even giving uh, not even offering the option to change what's in it uh makes sense to me and the the other thing when you've done this as long as I have, and you have um, compression makes me nervous because what if the compression scheme that's being used all of a sudden falls out of favor,
0: yeah. That's that's not a bad. Yeah. I mean, I would uh, guess if you're compressing it with disk utility, there's some safety there, right? Like that Apple's not going to just abandon that.
1: But. Right, but I'm just thinking uh, like remember uh remember Stuffit? Yeah. That was the greatest thing for a while. Uh I think if you have a Stuffit archive, you're going to be it's going to be a challenge dealing with that. I, I'm sure there are programs out that can do stuff it. Stuffit but... still exists.
0: Doesn't it? it Stuffit expander. Uh, yeah. 7Expander 16 was updated a week ago. It's an M1 oh. sub, uh, universal binary.
1: Okay, it's still out there. It's Ac- still out excellent. there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, I've and I've used it. I It just ran on my computer this morning because I downloaded a BZ2 archive to test some, I think, some cool stuff found that, uh, that we'll mm-hmm. actually talk about in a minute. But uh, it ran, but it was decompressing BZ2 archives. I'm assuming it would decompress stuff at archives, but that's only an assumption. <laughs> I could be wrong. It might not actually do stuff at archives anymore, but I would guess. Yeah, that.
1: it's just, uh, I've, you know, working with stuff that's archived, I've had cases where I look at the file and look at the extension and I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> yeah. Now, again, we're talking, you know, uh, things that are, you know, decades old, but. Sure. Um, you know same with graphic formats um, yeah. you know some of them fall out of favor so uh, to to me the most generic choice here is a read only disk image uh, okay
0: i like it yeah uh, I'm, I'm, but you've had success
1: with with uh, something different so yeah know, cool like too. i said
0: i want to test this with a disk image versus a sparse bundle to see if what the efficiency is like transferring that you know mounting that over a network volume uh, that would be that would be the only thing I'd want to look at. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: All right. Um, speaking of long term storage, Dave, um, Mark has a question. If I want to do long term storage of files, which media would be better—an SSD or a spinning hard drive? Neither would be installed and powered up day to day. I know spinning hard drives need to be exercised from time to time, but this is—is is this the same for SSDs? Um, and, uh, you'd think this would be a simple question, Dave, but it gets a bit complex. Um, but we do have an article that we can share with you. Actually, it's done, uh, by the folks at Backblaze, which, uh, as you may know, offers, uh, offsite archival storage yeah. or backup storage. Um, and they have a little ditty, um, that goes into detail about the reliability of various various storage mediums, including the type of technology used in the SSD. Um, I think both me and you, Dave, uh, found that the early SSDs, rather than um, gracefully failing like a rotational drive,
0: would just quit working. (laughs) And I think that's true with current SSDs, too. They just, when they're done, they're done. Like, that's it. You don't get much warning. They just go, right?
1: Yeah, like I I was going through uh, some of my uh, old disks and I had an old uh, OCZ one, which I think is a Toshiba brand or was a Toshiba brand. And when I tried to plug it into an external enclosure, it didn't even show up. It was it was totally dead. So, yeah, um, but today's uh, but I have not had that happen with any of my current SSDs. Uh, So I think they are pretty reliable. Uh, My experience is mostly with Crucial and uh, SanDisk. Um, now the good news is that they report um, all sorts of parameters via Smart, and I think they also have. And, and now I remember where I saw this before. So if you uh, if you bring up ISTAT menus and you click on the disk uh, menu, um, mind right now I'm looking at this on my uh, on my uh, uh, Mac Mini, which has an SSD and it's a, a 2018. Yes. Uh, it says SSD lifetime left, 100%. So that's good. I'm actually surprised it's still at 100%. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Machine's a couple of years old. So, um, uh, but you may want to use something. So so I found a, a good thing um, is to use something like uh, uh, DriveDX is a mm. good utility that looks at the smart parameters, but it also has some sm- intelligence and can tell you how close the drive is to uh, throwing in the towel. Um, And I've, I've done this drive DX would come up with a drive and it's like, yeah, it's at like 50%. You may want to toss it. So uh, I would inspect the drives every now and then maybe every month or every couple of months or every six months, three months. I don't know. uh, Just to see if there is any degradation because um, the, the one point that the article brings up though, about uh 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 rotational drives is that they tend to be more prone to uh, i mean they're mechanical and, right you know there's moving parts and and moving parts eventually stop moving um and i think they're also more susceptible to like you know ele- uh, electromagnetic interference where i don't think uh ssds are as much i mean if you blast it with x-rays or something i'm sure you'll
0: toast it but yeah well yeah 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 of course of course Yeah. 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 I, I would say SSDs are proving to be generally speaking more reliable than their rotational counterparts, but I don't, I, 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 well, let me ask you this. Have you seen any of the newer SSDs die yet? No. Okay. So I, I think, I think we're still going to see them die the same way they always have, where they just like, when the time is, done the time is done um mm-hmm. based on some notes in the chat room they just die uh and it's it's luck of the draw uh, and that's quoting quoting Warren in the chat room at live.mackeycup.com but everybody else is kind of chiming in with the same thing so i don't think it's that newer ssds are any different in that regard i think it's just that you haven't seen one die yet and i would say they have gotten more reliable since that first wave of ssds that we saw that you know maybe lasted a year or two or two or three years maybe So, um, so yeah, I, I would, I mean, with anything, you have to assume that you're not going to get any warning, uh, before you are unable to get any data off of those, you know, whatever that storage medium is. So backup, 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 that would be my advice on this one for sure. So, yeah. All right. Uh, you want to take us to Ed, man?
1: Yeah, man, I'm on a roll here. You are on a roll. It's Mm -hmm. great. Yeah, this is a good one. Um Ed says I do woodworking as a hobby, hobby and use a lot of very loud equipment. I just got a pair of tunes hearing protection headphones or I think earphones or maybe headphones uh for uh, for Christmas. Now I can listen to the podcast while using my router, among mm. the one that cuts wood. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's not yeah, different kind of router. That's right. Um, sometimes in between projects, my wife likes to come out and see how it's going. Instead of pulling out my Isotune earbuds, ah, they are earbuds. Okay. I want to be able to hear her by back tapping my phone and activating the live listen accessibility feature. I can't seem to find a way to do that with a shortcut. Am I out of luck? Do I have to navigate through the settings app each time to activate live listen like a caveman? Please help. (laughs) Um, so I actually tried this too, Dave. So I found a handy little article here um, from Apple called Use Live Listen with AirPods, AirPods Pro, AirPods Max, or PowerBeats Pro. Um, and they basically, the, the their suggestion is that you can put live listen into Control Center. Right. Uh, so that's what I did. And then um, I went into accessibility. Um, Selected double tap, and one of the choices is control center. So I'm like, "Uh, that's probably as as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Um, And it worked for me. Well, kind of. Here's the problem, um, which I think the article suggests here, is that when I tap on it, uh, it says connect a compatible audio device to use live listen. And I don't have my earbuds in right now, but when I had my earbuds, which are
0: non-Apple, Yeah it would still say connect compatible audio device. Um, There are some third party uh, devices that will work specifically hearing aids uh, are, are uh, on that list. So, but it, but as we've seen, right, like it, it's not just limited to hearing aids. It, it will work with some earbuds, including apples. Uh, And so it, it, I think may, it sounds from the way he worded his question that Ed has had success using ISO tunes with live. Listen, he just wanted a faster way to do it and control center is that's spot on, man. I like that's, that's how you do it. But yeah, live listen is kind of cool. I've, I've done it. And I mean, it's, you know, you just, your iPhone's microphone just becomes the microphone for your things where, where it's, I think it started life. For hearing aids, and then was added to airpods over the years. but you know the 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 best example i've heard is you know you're in a noisy restaurant and uh and you can 't hear the person that 's across the table from you, so what you do is you each put a uh, an airPod in and then you put your respective phones on the other side of the table, so when you talk you 're talking into my phone, and when I talk i 'm talking into your phone, and it 's just beaming it to our ears so um, that would be actually an interesting way. What a weird like social thing that would be. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I realize. I, I, I mean, for people that, that are, I, 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 sorry for people that are hearing disabled, it's perfect or, or have issues with hearing, hearing that's perfect. But I, I was thinking of it more as like for people who could hear just fine, but want to turn, tune out the, uh, the din of like a busy New York restaurant, which I realize is not a thing right now, but, um, but I, you know, I wonder what that would be like. Anyway. No, I think it, I think it still is. I,
1: th- I think they have pods now, outdoor pods.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, but You wouldn't hear the din of a New York, a busy New York restaurant, right? Because oh, right. you're in your pod. You're indoors. Yeah, because yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're separated Oh, right, from so the pod helps. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but I'm right. just like, I'm just thinking about, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, where are we here? You want to take us to Harvey? Harvey? Yeah, okay.
1: All right. Harvey says, after updating my 2017 iMac to Catalina earlier this month, Time Machine stopped running. The error message is puzzling. Time Machine couldn't complete the backup to name of backup drive. Two of the disks to backup have the same name. Rename one of the disks named, um, Macintosh 2017 HD. Um, And then he gave us a picture from within uh, disutility. And sure enough, there seems to be only one um, partition with that name or volume. I guess is a more proper term. So what's going on here? You know what, Dave? I think time machine may not be telling you the entire or or disutility may not be telling the entire truth. Okay. Um, I mean, the good news, if if you want to consider good news is that he's not alone And that i found an apple support thread where someone had the same time machine issue and was suggested that the user issue a certain terminal command df uh, space dash kt and at some point that actually did show uh, duplicate dash data partitions and i'll assume that was not shown in this Utility. um and I recall having a similar issue after installing Catalina, in that I saw two data partitions. Um, and in my case, I just deleted the much smaller one, and everything sure. was great. Sure. So I guess the first thing to try is rename that partition. I think if you right-click on it and say rename, you know, call it something different, and maybe that'll fix it. But my concern is that there may be something not quite right underneath it all. So. I think you may want to actually re-roll that drive. You know, create a clone, wipe that drive, and then copy the clone back. Uh, Because I don't think the the fact that it thinks that this is an issue just that would be my course of action. Would be to redo that drive.
0: Yeah, if you can't delete it in Disk Utility, I agree. There's there might be something, but you should be able to look in the um uh I'm, I'm typing while I'm doing this here. If you if you go to the terminal and you type disk util list, that should show you what's going on here. And I'm looking to see. Yeah, I see one data partition on my boot drive. There are there are five total um I I guess volumes on my boot drive. I don't want to say partition because it's the wrong term, because it's an APFS drive. But it says on dev disc two, which is my boot disc that there are six partitions. Sorry. There's the one called APFS container scheme, which is partition or volume zero. And then there are volumes one through five. The first two are my data and not data volumes. And then there's preboot recovery and VM. So yeah, if you're it, that's where I would look next is run disc util space list from the command line from the terminal and see what, uh, See what that says. And if that shows you two, but disk utility itself does not. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And things aren't things aren't right. You could try first make a backup, then try. You could try removing it with the disk util terminal command, too. So that, that would be another way to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, speaking of time machine, we had a late arrival quick tip, John, from listener, John in the chat room, who says that if you go into system preferences, time machine, and you have multiple backup destinations there, which you can do, and it will theoretically kind of sort of round robin between them. Uh, but if you want to force a backup to a specific time machine destination in that list, if you have more than one go there, system preferences, time machine, Right-click on the one that you want to backup to, and you will be presented with an option to immediately start a backup to that destination, which that's pretty cool. So thanks for the quick tip, John. Very good. com. Mm-hmm. You guys can join, too. Or you can just I go to— I'm not ahead. getting that. Really? Huh. And do you have multiple destinations in your— uh... No, okay. That's Maybe why. That's it. You, you oh, have okay. to— yeah, you have to be in the cuz otherwise you could just trigger a backup, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, good. Uh, all right. Um, listener Mike chimes in with a question. He says, uh, arriving soon for me is a brand new Intel iMac with a 1 terabyte SSD. I'm wondering a pl- about a plan for my migration. I'm coming from an early 2014 MacBook Air with a 500 gig SSD and a 350-gig attached storage drive. The Air has about 50 gigs free, so 450 gigs total on it. And the attached USB is a Glyph USB 3 2-terabyte rotational drive, mostly holding my music. Uh, The music-related media includes MP3 and MP4, iTunes. He says I still use Match and associated documents. I make a clone every week of the built-in drive on the 2014 Air using Carbon Copy Cloner. I want to stop using the external drive if possible and put it all on the new machine. I use a few music-related software tools from uh, like Amazing Slow Downer and a Roland interface. He says, I really want to take the opportunity to organize the attached drive material as I have just been dumping data almost always with tags for years on it. What should I do? Should I nuke and pave? Should I use Migration Assistant? And what about that extra 350 gigs? I'm not sure that the new machine is Big Sur, but I assume it will be. I'm also assuming that the external drive cannot become the new clone, correct? Yeah, Uh, he says, should I use it for Time Machine? Is Time Machine even a thing in Big Sur? Yes, it is. Uh, I look forward to hearing your ideas. So these are great questions, and there's never only one correct answer in scenarios like this. As I see it, you have two paths. Right. You have the migration assistant path and this would be for you in your scenario, a two step process. Right. First, you'd let migration assistant do its thing and slurp over all the data from your boot drive on the 2014 air to the new iMac. And then you'd connect your glyph drive to the new Mac. And from that point, you'd manually copy the files uh, to their new homes on your internal drive and you could change your apps pointers as you go. If it's only iTunes music or music music, you could use the consolidate library feature. What that does is it takes all of your media, no matter where it is, and it can be in multiple locations and it pulls it all together to whatever you have set to be your music, uh, media location in the in the music or iTunes app. So you would launch iTunes, you would set the, uh, default music location to be the internal drive now even though it's pointing to the external drive for specific files perhaps all of your specific files but that's fine then you use then you choose consolidate library and it's going to copy not move copy them all to that one location you could do some spot checking to make sure you've got what you need and if it's only your music library then that would work Otherwise, you're doing manual copies and that sort of thing over. So that's one way of doing it, essentially, you know, riding on top of Migration Assistant. The other way is let that new iMac be started from scratch and manually migrate everything. And then you'd be reorganizing things sort of as a byproduct of this um, as long as you have the time. And given that this is a 2014 Air and given that you're moving from one type of machine, a laptop, to a different type of machine, a desktop, I would say this might be a really good opportunity to rethink how you do things. And it might be a really good opportunity for a nuke and pave. Uh, it does take a little bit of extra time though. So if you don't have the time, then this is not the right you know moment to do this. But otherwise that's where my gut would lean, but there's nothing wrong with migration assistant. Uh, as we pointed out on the show, it does really, really well. So, so yeah, those are my, 10 cents. What, what do you think, John? Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. You want to take us uh, to Robert here, John? Yes. Cool. Uh, all
1: right. What does Robert have? Um, all right. Robert has a couple of questions that he hopes I may be able to answer uh having to do with issues on his macbook uh he has like me a 20 uh 2019 i think it's actually a 2020 okay right macbook pro 16 inch
0: no it's a 2019 the core, hmm? right didn't that come out in 2019 yeah oh maybe it did okay yeah, i think so or late late, late 2019
1: yeah yeah ah yeah. Uh, right 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 okay but i got mine in 2020 correct right? Correct. Uh, running uh, running an i9, 8-core, and 16 gigs of RAM. So I uh, hope you have some insight. First, RAM usage. Having only owned this machine since November, I'm still learning what is normal. Perhaps you could confirm what I'm seeing is typical for this machine. On a recent episode, you mentioned the utility EUL. Ooh, ooh. Okay. So I installed it to show me certain stats regarding what the machine is up to, much like I stat menus. It's constantly reporting the RAM usage at around 10 gigs, even when performing light tasks. Is this consistent with your machine? I am not noticing performance issues. The machine is great. Just wonder if this is normal. I do run an external monitor most of the time, but disconnecting this doesn't change it. Um, And here's a screenshot. Uh, So that's item number one. Item number two, battery health. Uh, Another thing I am concerned about is the battery health, which is already down to 93%. As I mentioned, I run an external monitor setup using a Cable Matters hub that I purchased for use with my previous MacBook 13-inch. Is it possible that I am damaging the battery life because I am not using a hub which can facilitate the full charging capability? I thought that it would just charge slower as it is a lower wattage, but I'm now concerned because 7% lost and only two months seems excessive. Again, the MacBook does not move often at the moment for obvious reasons. Only when I go down to the cellar to record drums. Fun. All right. Um, and lastly, AirTrop hogs resources while writing. Another thing is that this machine is struggling with air dropping photos between my iPhone 11 pro or iPad pro first gen to the MacBook. Is this a problem you've had the fans ramp right up and the sheer, uh, well, that's another process. So hold on. Uh, and, and a certain process takes over the whole machine and I get the spinning beach ball of death. And if I'm extremely patient, it will finally come through, but generally I am not. Uh, I just want this to work as it should. So, let's knock these down. Knock these out of the park, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Let me go back. So, uh... All right, so RAM usage. Uh, With normal usage, I also see about 10 gigs used. Um, uh, And the screenshot that he showed uh, showed low memory pressure. Um, Memory pressure will come up as uh, green if it's okay. Um... If it's not green, then I think what's happening is it's it's doing a lot of uh, memory compression, which is uh, another thing that can happen. Uh, and his swap was very low as well. So uh, on RAM, I think you're good. As for the battery health, that's not so good. Being at 93% after two months doesn't sound right. Um, I'm at 85% after nearly a year uh, and 500 charge cycles. So... Uh, So for charging that machine, I think you should be using a device, Apple or otherwise, that supports power delivery. And I don't know if his uh, hub or whatever it is supports that. Um, One candidate would be the 85-watt charger that it comes with, which it says right on it, power delivery. Um, uh, I would also look in system preferences battery and make sure optimized battery charging and battery health Manage battery longevity are enabled. Um, and that's for airdrop. Uh, uh, he meant sharing D, so sharing D is the process that handles all of this stuff. Um, and you can do a man page to see that. Um, all I can say, Dave, is I, I tried beaming stuff from both my i devices, and it, it happened in literally seconds like less than five seconds. Um the only thing I can think of is AirDrop uses both Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, so maybe toggle them off and on again or, uh, you know, restart the machine. Um, I can't I can't think of anything else that would solve that.
0: So that's what I got. What do you think? Um, well, the first thing I wanted to do was qualify what sw- – I agree with you that his swap usage from the screenshot that only you and I get to see is – what I would call classify as very low and not of concern to give everybody else some perspective. I look at swap and if it's a gigabyte used or below, I don't even think about it. Uh, Two gigs. I might not think about it above that. And clearly something's been using it more than it needs to. So, or using more Ram than I would like it to be using. And I, I dig a little bit deeper, but he was at, I think he was even at less than 500 megabytes used. So, that that would be my – that's my metric. One gig and lower, it's not even worth a conversation about uh, worrying about how much swap is used. And then as, in terms of um, his charging, anything that will charge your computer is using power delivery. It, so you don't need to worry. Power delivery just describes the ability to send – power over a USB-C connection and of course that's the only way you would charge that computer so his cable matters hub most definitely supports power delivery i okay. wouldn't he wouldn't need a new charger uh unless there's some malfunction with his but i don't think there is i think it's it's probably um, i mean it, it it's hard to say with his battery health where it started Uh It's at 93% after two months, but where was it on day zero? Was it at 100%? If it's dropping that quickly, right, like A being this would be more relevant. Like I'd be really curious to see where it is at the six month mark. 93% in and of itself isn't terrible. That machine may have started at 94 or 95. They don't all start at 100 so I would keep an eye on it and see where it is at at the 6 month mark because of it's right. precipitously. And
1: our pal fruit juice will show you totally. uh, a historical graph of uh yeah which uh, I you know I implemented that as, as soon as I got this machine here and um and actually when I when I activated some of these enhanced uh, battery handling features, I've yeah. actually seen the number go up, which seems kind of weird, but
0: yeah, I've seen them go up too, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um if you don't want to run fruit juice full time, there's a utility called coconut battery that's really handy that you can you can run as you know sort of on demand and it will it will do the same thing. You can save a history log. Cool part about coconut battery is you can also connect it to your, you can connect your Mac to your iPhone and coconut battery will maintain a battery history of your iPhone's battery too. So you get to look back at that over time. So I think you get to see some more details in coconut battery uh, as compared to fruit juice too. So, but they're like, I see them as complimentary utilities. So, yeah. All right. Um, Anything more on that one, John? Um, the third one. So someone
1: in the chat room said I would take the iPhone, iPad, Mac off of Wi-Fi and see if AirDrop works via Bluetooth. I don't know if AirDrop works on only Bluetooth. I think it does need both.
0: Well, right? it uses both, mm-hmm. but the Wi-Fi connection for AirDrop is Uh, An ad hoc connection directly between the two devices, Mm -hmm. even if you're both associated with a Wi-Fi network, it does not use that Wi-Fi network. It creates a connection, and I believe it creates it on channel 136. That's where it used to create it. Uh, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if that has changed, but that would be. um, But so disassociating from Wi-Fi might be the answer. But I think if you turn off Wi-Fi, I don't think AirDrop will work. So you can disassociate from your access point. You know, I've done airdrop, as I'm sure many people have, like, you know, sitting. I remember being at Disney World and sitting on a bus, you know, going to some park or back to the hotel or whatever. And a friend of mine was across and he took a picture and he's like, oh, can you airdrop that? And I was like, yeah. And so we did. And it works fine, you know, without there being a Wi-Fi network around. But I think you need to have Wi-Fi on it. I think it uses Bluetooth to find things as like the beginning of the mm-hmm. process and then wifi for the high speed, like beaming of it all. So yeah, cool. All right. Uh, we have some cool stuff found to get to John and we have time to get to it, which makes me excited. The next thing that I want to do though, is I want to tell you about our, uh, final two sponsors, if that's okay. Tell me. All right. Look, you know, we are all about productivity here. We are all about tips and you can get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of Text Expander, our first sponsor here. Text Expander its awesome. I, I use it all the time because it removes the repetition out of work so that you can focus on what matters most. Right. So you get to say goodbye to all that repetitive text entry, all the spelling errors, the message errors, and most of all trying to remember the right thing to say because when you use text expander you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes because you've already figured out what you're going to say this is great for those things like customer service responses and and let's face it sometimes even our families need customer service type, like FAQ type responses, right? So you get to put all this stuff together and instead of, when somebody asks you a question, instead of digging into your sent folder to find that answer, you just go pull it out of text expanders. It's way better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates because text expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So go check it out. TextExpander.com slash podcast because show listeners get 20% off their first year. And what better way to start 2021? Our thanks to TextExpander for sponsoring this episode. Next up is BB Edit from Barebones Software at Barebones.com because we love BB Edit. I mean, yes, they're a sponsor, but we also love BBEdit. It's open on my Mac right now. I was going to say it's open on my Macs right now, and that is true. Right now, we're using it. We process the show notes with it. BBEdit is a text editor, and there's something beautiful about truly just being able to edit in text. It's great for being able to count words in a document. It's great for being able to compare two documents. And, of course, it's great for any programming. And that includes like HTML or CSS or JavaScript or anything like that that you need to do. Well, right now, Fairbones is running their BB Edit Yojimbo 2020 holiday bundle. And this is a very special thing because you get both BB Edit and Yojimbo. So BB Edit, I've just talked to you about. Yojimbo makes it easy to store, encrypt, and retrieve all kinds of data, passwords, PDFs, images, and more, and uses iCloud now to sync between your Mac. So if it's been a while. You might want to check this out, the BBEdit Yojimbo 2020 Holiday Bundle at barebones.com slash holiday bundle. And our thanks to Barebones for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, I found a cool stuff found that uh, and I'm honestly not sure where I stumbled onto it, but it's called Silicon Info. It's available either in the Mac App Store or you can uh, you can get it direct from the developer. It's free. It sits in your menu bar. Oh, I saw it in um, I saw it in Homebrew. I did an update to Homebrew, and I saw that, that that cask was added. And so I'm like, well, I must I must install this. So I did. It puts a little thing in your menu bar. Uh, it's only relevant for people with M1 Max because it puts an icon of a CPU in your menu bar, and it fills it in when the frontmost app is Apple Silicon, and it leaves it empty when the frontmost app is running through Rosetta because it's an Intel app so you can know at a glance am i in a, a native app or am i in an, in a Rosetta app and of course the fact that you would need a utility to tell you this speaks volumes to how well apple did with making apple silicon like work smoothly because otherwise i wouldn't know most of my apps are already apple silicon which is another amazing feat but uh but there are still a few that i run that are that are Intel, so um, so this will this will tell you, which makes it it you know, makes it fun. I don't know. It's cool stuff. That's what we do. Cool stuff found. Uh, JP started out as a geek challenge, believe it or not, because he was having all kinds of problems with duplicates in his iTunes library. Uh, one way to fix these, and it might work, is to use iTunes or Apple Music. Go to the file menu, go to library and choose show duplicate items or with the option key held down, show exact duplicate items. Uh, And then you can highlight them and delete them, but, you know, make sure not to, to delete the, delete the wrong ones, right? That so make a backup of your library first, but he found a better answer making this a cool stuff found instead of a geek challenge. And it is tunes mechanic, Uh, And of course, there's a link in the show notes. It's also available on the app store. It works with both iTunes and music, and it's basically a super advanced duplicate remover. It also will fix those dead links in your iTunes music library. So this goes beyond just the duplicates. It'll remove empty playlists. You can use it to reset song ratings. So, yeah, uh, this is this. Look, I have not used it yet but this is one of those utilities that I'm definitely going to keep in the arsenal here. Uh, he said it worked really well for him on his large library. So thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that JP. I always love it when uh, I love it, when people's questions get answered, it's even nicer when, when it turns into a cool stuff found. So I like it. I like it when there's a utility to fix a problem. So thanks for that JP. You want to take us to Ben, John? Yes. Ben asks, do you all Y'all know about
1: CardHop. It's the contacts app from Flexibits, makers of Fantastical. I've been using it on my Mac since it was released in 2017. I love how easily I can create new contacts with natural language and smart labeling. Additionally, I can copy exactly the contact info I want to share outside the app. And I can call known contacts at the desired number by label or even random phone numbers like S lady card hop also translates words into numbers such as in 888 geek which is 4335 so <laughs> we got that out of the way
0: Cool. thank you Ben yeah i'm surprised i you know when that came in i looked in our our database where we track the things that we've mentioned and i just assumed that it would We had already mentioned Cardhop because we've mentioned, you know, many other things from Flexibits over the years. But uh, but no, no, we never have. So uh, that is that is a new one. Uh, The next thing up on the cool stuff found list is Netgear's Orbi 6, which uh, I've had the pleasure of of checking out over the last few weeks here. Uh, Netgear. you know, the the Orby, we've talked about the Orby on the show, the 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 initial Orby, the Wi Fi five Orby, uh on the show several times over the years. And it really was the winner for the long haul uh, backhaul between mesh points, right? That if you needed that kind of if you needed a lot of distance, especially if you've got like an outbuilding. The, w- that you don't have Ethernet buried, you know, between your house and the outbuilding, the Netgear Orbi, the Wi-Fi 5 one was certainly, you know, the the best thing to choose in that environment. And that is, that remains with the Wi-Fi 6 version of the Orbi here. Uh, across my driveway. So I have a, I have a perfect scenario to test all this. Of course, the house, the, you know, my office is about 75 feet across the driveway. So uh, I had the Orbi unit on that, on this side, the office side of the house uh, on the second floor, but inside the house. And then I had another one here in my office, but at the back of the office on the, you know, on the first floor. So buried kind of in things. And I consistently got 330 megabits per second in both directions between the two, which I mean, I've never seen that before with anything (laughs) Wi-Fi, and that's Wi-Fi 6 doing its job, right? So this is one of those scenarios where Wi-Fi 6 is, even if you didn't have any Wi-Fi 6 client devices, having the mesh do Wi-Fi 6 for your backhaul makes a huge difference. Uh, And then I was getting, you know, similar connections uh, with my client devices, too. Uh, You know, it'll, it'll do... Double hop if it has to obviously that's that that's not as efficient, but even with a a double hop connection with my laptop on wi fi on yet another access point, I was still getting like two hundred up and down uh that way it 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 was impressive, and all of those issues that we had seen in the past with orby's not dealing with multi hop properly or not dealing with ethernet backhaul, I experienced exactly zero of those so so they have finally sorted all that out, uh, which is impressive to me. Another thing with the Orbijon is it's all local access. So you manage it by logging into it locally. Uh, it has inbound VPN, which n- most mesh routers do not have built in. And uh, and it supports uh, WAN aggregation. So if you have a faster than gigabit cable modem, you can you know m- plug two Ethernet Ports in and and get that faster than gigabit connection to your to your Orbi. So yeah, it I I was impressed with this thing, and I was using the one that has it's tri band, but it is uh, a four x four. It has so it has two five gigahertz radios and one two point four. The two point four and one of the five gigahertz radios are two by two. So those are meant for client facing devices, and then there's the four x four uh, five gigahertz radio. That is primarily used for backhaul. Well, primarily intended for backhaul, but it, it will use it for other things if, if it deems that appropriate. So yeah, I was pretty impressed with the Orbi. They, they, um, I, you know, to be fair, I have not always been impressed by Orbi over the years. And, um, and this one, they certainly, you know, they certainly figured out how to deliver this. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it's, you know, yet another contender in the Wi Fi six space here, which is great, which is great. Any questions on that, John, before you move us on to listener Dave? No. All right, cool. Nope. So
1: Dave offers two, two, two. Oh, wait, that was three. Uh, Two cool stuffs found in one. First, a website with detailed and readable documentation for configuring, operating, and troubleshooting launch agents and launch daemons. And that's www.launchd.info. Uh, launch D being the process that spins up all sorts of things when you start up your machine. And actually uh, if you poke around on your machine, Dave, I believe it's in system. It's in four Uh, places. Launch agents and launch daemons um, folders on your machine. And if you want to, um, you can open them up and see uh, all of all of the files that are used for launching all sorts of things when your machine starts up. But don't touch them. <laughs> uh, what you should do instead is use a utility. Um, so this is a second tip. Use a utility called launch control for configuring and managing your launch agents and your launch daemons. Uh, and it's 18 bucks and we'll link to uh, where we can get it Um so some uh, additional commentary. Uh, the, the website is very, very well written. Anyone interested in the nuts and bolts of scheduling work with LaunchD would be well advised to visit it. It gives examples for configuring launch agents by hand and also using uh, Launch Control. Uh, the utility app Launch Control is kind of like Lingon, but it's very full featured with lots of debugging and troubleshooting support. If you are doing anything serious with Launch Control, Launch Agents, or Launch Daemons, then I highly recommend it. Uh, I was moving a launch agent from Mojave to Catalina, and I just could not get it to run. I used Lingon in the past, but had some issues with it. So I taught myself how to configure launch the jobs by hand. Not a problem, and it worked fine for me up through Mojave, but something was preventing this job from succeeding. This particular job executed a bash script that made a local copy of some data from a cloud service. When I loaded launch control, the app immediately recognized the job had been failing and made a number of suggestions for repair and troubleshooting. Working through those, I found the problem and got it working. The ultimate problem was that bin slash uh, uh, bash did not have full disk access. <laughs> Thank you, Catalina. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we found that is uh, yeah, you want to, um, some things you wouldn't expect to require full di- disk access uh, do. I think terminal is another one, Dave. Um, yeah, yeah. For I've, some things. Yep. Um, so normally you wouldn't, uh, so he says, normally you would not want to grant the bash self bash shell full disk access is that as that is a security concern. Launch control provides a companion utility called FDA util, full disk access utility, that you can use to grant full disk access to a particular invocation of a bash script or any other shell script. Using that utility, my job is now running successfully as scheduled under Catalina. A small thing, perhaps, but I spent several hours troubleshooting before I stumbled onto launch control. I found it well worth the money because it solved the problem for me and and probably saved me another few hours. Um, uh, Troubleshooting and likely avoided a cry for help to (laughs) MacGeekApp. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Dave. Um, Yeah, I have it. It's cool that it makes suggestions because I think Lingon, I mean, Lingon is... uh, I think Lingon pretty much just lets you fill in the blanks, but I don't think it does anything really beyond that. So if you make a mistake, it's...
0: It's going to let you. Yeah. It's going to let you. Yeah. It <laughs> assumes you know what you're doing. It assumes <laughs> you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. This launch... I mean, I, I want to check out Launch Control for sure. That that looks to be really interesting. Uh, but this launchd.info, or I should say, and this launchd.info website... If you want to edit your own launch demons or create or edit somebody else's or create your own, this is a great resource. Just looking through this, it shows you how they're laid out, what they, you know, what they do. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Really well done. I'd never seen this before. So thank goodness to listener Dave for sending this in. That's great, man. John, I had to get a new doorbell. Um, My ring doorbell works great for us here but we got a new door and the uh the guy who specked out the door for us there were many problems with the 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 process of getting this new door including figuring out a contractor that we won't be hiring again but um but the door that he specked out for us had the, like the door frame wasn't wide enough for us to put our ring doorbell in. And when I asked him, like, can you build like a little thing so that we can mount it? He was like, well, I, I, I no, I don't know. I don't do doorbells. Literally said that to us. He, he puts in doors, installs them all the time. I don't do doorbells. Cool. But, um, so I had to find a doorbell that was thinner than my ring doorbell. And I found one, the Eufy wired video doorbell, HDR two K. And it works great. It fits perfectly, um, some cool things with it though that it it has its own ringer module that you just plug into an a c outlet so you can control like where that goes and you don't have to use the one that's built into your house if it or even if there is one built into your house right you don't need that and then uh, we've got them linked with our our a ladies because we've got a bunch of those all over the house from you know the the amazon a ladies so uh so it tells us that the doorbell has rung the unfortunate part is that while most Eufy cameras are homekit video compatible the doorbell is not so i i, I am not able to link it up with homekit directly yet there's some some rumblings that there might be a software update but obviously not yet uh the homebridge plugin for eufy is is m- new so it, they they haven't quite gotten it there so hopefully they can maybe get some help from the yufi folks to to get that over the hump or maybe yufi'll just do it you know and make the make home kit work but the doorbell itself works great it's got a, a p- killer image on it um and it you know night mode and all that stuff so i was pretty stoked to find it so mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i got one too yeah right. is that the same one you have i knew you had a yufi doorbell i wasn't sure if it was that same one they've got quite a few so Yes. Uh, the
1: only thing that concerned me is that you pretty much, they require you to disconnect your existing chime or ringer. Okay. Uh, or at least, at least that's what they said in the instructions and I trusted them.
0: Yeah. uh, It was pretty straightforward, right? We basically did the same thing. Yeah. We, we jumpered it so that it Mm bypasses it. That's right.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. But, but the fact that you get, a ringer module where you can pick them. And I think they even offered some holiday ringtones and stuff. They did Uh, recently. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the A lady says, someone's at the door. Right, (laughs) It's also kind of cool. The other thing I found Dave is that uh, for me, the ring that I had, um, I'm close to the street and the thing was detecting, I I think they've improved their algorithm since then, but the Yuffie is almost perfect. Wow! In that, it only uh, it only detects uh, pretty much the mailman or whoever's sure. at, the, at the front door. Actually, every day it sees the mailman or you know the Amazon or, or whoever's bringing me presents. Right, um, right. <laughs> no, their algorithm is very good. It, it it lets you define the area that that it will pay attention. to. Yeah, right. Um, right. And yeah, the video is uh, pretty amazing for. Um, for such a tiny uh, camera.
0: Yeah. I was, I was really blown away. Right. It's, um, and the installation was really straightforward. So, which is, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yep. It's good. Um, I have been long, a fan of creating website specific applications. I think I used an app called fluid for years and I use them mainly. I use them for like our show, and other podcasts that I do because we use Google Docs as a, a shared resource. So if you come to the chat room at live.mackgeekup.com, there's a link there that you can actually see the agenda for the show. And 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 many folks, thank goodness, help us by adding links and, and those sorts of things. So it's a shared Google Doc. But I don't want to have that launched in Safari or any other browser. I want to have a separate app for that. And, uh, and so I, I like to use something that will create that app. Fluid was great up until recently, and now it it just hasn't been updated and so I've been messing with two new apps uh both from uh b z g apps uh they are coherence or coherence x which might be coherence ten I'm not sure and unite and and so it creates these you know site specific browser tools and they uh, uh, they work extremely well. Um, one of them, uh, Unite, uses WebKit, so basically the Safari engine, and Coherence uses uh, Chromium, the Chrome engine. Uh, so I, the way my workflow works, I've been happier with Unite than Coherence, but they're both there, and uh, and they're what I've been using for the last several weeks to to do the show, and uh, it's been flawless. So very, very cool utilities. So I I wanted to put them out there since it's something I'm actually finding myself relying on. I figured other people might appreciate hearing about this. And speaking of Chromium, John, Mm -hmm. I have found that Microsoft Edge is the best Chromium browser for the Mac for me. Uh, Chrome winds up using way too much CPU and way too much battery, at least in terms of what I'm seeing here. And Microsoft Edge is killing it. It's really super efficient. Uh, It works with, you know, Safari has some weird issues with some Chromium stuff, especially like Google Meet and Google Hangouts and stuff. It's way better to run that in a Chrome browser, which is no great surprise, right? It's Google tech, so it makes sense that Chromium would be better. So I've been using Microsoft Edge for probably the last six months for that stuff. And it's been flawless, man. Uh, So much better than Chrome. And Edge canary which is their nightly builds or weekly builds or something their beta you know test version or whatever is m1 uh you know built for apple silicon so you can run a native on apple silicon but uh even the regular one runs runs fine like there's I, honestly i don't notice the difference so um so yeah microsoft edge and i've been using that to do the show too we i keep our um our video stream windows open in a in a different browser and and i switched from using chrome to so Edge and CPU usage went down, just doing the same thing. So I've been very, very, very happy with uh, with that stuff. So I figured I'd, you know, I figured I'd share. I don't know. Do you Have you messed with Edge at all, John? Uh, it's on my MacBook Pro. I should probably put it on this one as yeah. well. Yeah. And it doesn't have that weird Google updater that runs, so you can kill that thing off and, and not have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. It, oh. yeah.
1: I forget what it's called.
0: Yeah, there's, there's some background process. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, edge does its own weird updater because it, it, it it, like wants to run the Microsoft updater and all that stuff, which is fine. But at least it tells you that it wants to run that. It's not like kicking it off every 108 minutes. Like, you know, you got to type in the codes. Otherwise the Island blows up. Wait, but that's wrong. That's a different thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: It's called, um, for those that are curious, yeah, I thought, I thought it was called this, but I just confirmed it. A keystone Mm. is, uh, the name of the engine that does sneaky things in the background. And if you search for that, you'll probably find ways to uh, disable it if you like, because I personally don't like updates that are applied behind my back.
0: Yeah. Although I do understand why you want to keep a browser as up to date as possible with all the, Mm. uh, all the secure. I mean, I get why Google does it. It's just been a little weird. I used, um, I I used Lingon to disable the launch D items that trigger Keystone and there were two of them on my Macs. And so I've I've turned those off and occasionally I go check and make sure that they've remained off and then I can just have Google do its own updates. It's fine. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we've uh, that's the time we have for today, my friend. It's it's time to bring the band in. Like Hooker by Crook, we made it through this episode, John. I wasn't so sure when we mm-hmm. were fighting with our getting our video connection to work, but it seems like we made it, which is good. I'm glad. Very glad, in fact. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any, uh, any, any lasting like plays, places you want to... Anything you'd like to ask people to do before we, uh, before we wrap this up, John? Do um, you have a question, tip?
1: whatever um i would ask you to send it to feedback at macgeekgab.com
0: did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com i absolutely said
1: feedback at macgeekgab.com uh we already gave you the uh and we also
0: we gave you the phone number earlier on we did that's right yeah that's um, Good. cool well yeah send us your stuff this is how the show happens so we'd love to hear from you uh we would love to we'd love to have your review macgeekup.com slash reviews that gets us that, that's the week that's the closest we can get you to where you can leave a review and those reviews really do mean a lot to us so uh, so if you haven't left one please go leave us one we would love it, it really really helps thanks to all of our sponsors of course helix mattresses at helix sleep.com slash mgg mintmobile.com slash mgg textexpander.com slash podcast barebones.com slash holiday bundle Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to, of course, Cashfly for providing the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of our ongoing sponsors. Smile. Well, they were in this episode. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. linocom slash mtg. slash mtg. Yeah. And Happy New Year, everybody. Here we go again. John, I got us into this mess. I think we're going to get us out. Help!
1: I'm going to get us out and recommend to everyone in this new year, don't get caught.
0: May